Welcome inside another episode of the Igloo with me, Timmy Ice. Now, uh, I know I recapped everything that happened in men's basketball over the weekend, and there was some interesting action over on the women's side, including the season debut of the number two team in the land, the UConn Huskies. So before I touch on that, I want to talk about what happened, you know, Friday Friday night first. And starting in College Park, fourth-ranked Maryland hosting Villanova. You know, Villanova coming off that disappointing loss at home to Princeton earlier in the week. And in this matchup, you know, maybe because it was their second game in three days, maybe Villanova just didn't have enough in the gas tank. But, Or maybe it's just the fact that Maryland's really that good, but the Terps handled the Wildcats pretty easily, 88-67. You know, if you want to talk about how Villanova started and ended the game, meaning the first 10 minutes and the final 10 minutes, first quarter, fourth quarter, Villanova outscored Maryland 42-36. to It was everything in between where Maryland beat them up. They outscored the Wildcats during those middle 20 minutes, 52-25. to You know, it's a 40-minute game. So, for Villanova, I mean, Brianna Hurley, very solid yet again. 16 points to go with 5 rebounds. Knocked down 2 of 3 from 3. 7 of 12 from the field. Villanova, to their credit, you know, they shot the 3 ball very well in this game. Nearly 50%. To be more specific, it's 48%. But Maryland, they were just really efficient from the floor as they shot nearly... 57% from the floor, and an even 50% from three. Granted, they made just five of ten. One thing that also will kill you in a game like that, getting out rebounded 38-21. That also doesn't help. But Maryland, they had six players in double figures, including all five starters, and the player that led them, you know, she's an elite player, Angel Reese. Her freshman year, you know, averaged 10 points a game in about 15 minutes a game. And so far this year, you know, in three games, you know, she's averaging nearly 19 a game and 11 rebounds a game. In this game in particular, 23 points on 10 of 15 shooting. Meanwhile, you add 17 points from Mimi Collins, 13 from Ashley Owusu, a dozen from Katie Benzen, and 11 from Chloe Bibby. And off the bench, major production from Cheyenne Sellers, the freshman who finished with 12. Other notable contributors for Villanova, Lior Garzon, 15 points. All of her shots came from behind the arc. She took seven and made five. Maddie Segrist, her early season struggles continue. 11 points, six boards, five of 15 from the floor, one of five from three. You know, the other two starters weren't really all that great. You know, Lucy Olsen only had three points, and Brooke Mullen only had six and shot a combined three of eight from three and three of 13 from the floor. But off the bench, you know, for a couple of players that saw 20-plus minutes, Caitlin Orhel was very good, nine points off the bench in 20 minutes. And then in 21 minutes, Bella Runyon was solid too, knocked down both of her field goal attempts, including a three, in 21 minutes. So Villanova, I know it's not 
ideal to be 0-2, but, you know, there's a lot of time for them to, you know, pick up the slack. You know, they got a bunch of big five games coming up. And three of them are all in a row uh, to close out the month of November where, you know, they're facing St. Joe's and Penn on the road, and then they face Temple at home. But, you know, Villanova, they schedule tough, and so far, they haven't come out of the winning end. Either time, they've really challenged themselves against Princeton and Maryland. But they will have other opportunities down the line to really solidify themselves. You know, they welcome Oregon State later in non-conference play. They visit a pretty good James Madison team, and they face Lehigh, who was a tournament team a year ago. Meanwhile, Georgetown took care of business against a non-D1 opponent in Salem University. They won 86-48, and, you know, Georgetown, they went to a strategy where, you know, they really weren't getting a lot of minutes out of the starters because they knew in a game like this they didn't need it. And it was a balanced effort. And Jillian Archer, the USC transfer, led the way with 14 points and 13 rebounds. A very efficient game as she also shot 6 of 7 from the field and went perfect 2 for 2 from the line. He also got 13 from Milan Bolden Morris. How about 13 off the bench for Ariel Jenkins, the freshman, to go along with 8 rebounds in 16 minutes? I mean, you had... All but one Hoya that came off the bench getting 10-plus minutes. The only one that didn't was Shania Wright, a senior who in seven minutes scored seven points and grabbed six rebounds. You know, you got 16 minutes out of Anita Kaleva, 16 minutes out of Brianna Scott, 17 minutes out of Natalie Jasper, 16 minutes out of Kaylin West. As for the other starters, Grace Ann Bennett scored 9 points in 15 minutes. Kelsey Ransom was 2 points away from double-double. The sophomore point guard had 8 points and 11 assists in 28 minutes. As a whole, Georgetown shot well from the floor, nearly 50%, 49.3% to be exact. 3-point-wise, yeah, they could have been better. They were 3-for-11 from 3. But to their credit, you know, they held Salem... To a very bad shooting percentage. It's more a testament to Georgetown being very good defensively in this game compared to Salem just being you know your typical non-D1 team going up against a D1 team. But if you want to hear something absurd, the rebounding edge in this game was ridiculous. It favored Georgetown, and again, I'm not making this up. 73-28. to Yeah. 73 rebounds for Georgetown, just 28 for Salem. And for Salem, they only had one player that scored in double figures, and that was Naria Arambari Fernandez. Led the Tigers with 11 points, went 3 for 15 from the floor, including 3 for 7 from 3. The rest of her team from 3, just 20%, 7 for 35. You know, they got nine points out of Daniela Quesada. Just five from Alina Mangiri. K- 
Kendra Stanford only had three points and only two points from Ixamar Gonzalez. Bench production-wise, you know, they got they got some points. You know, 18 from the bench, which, if I'm doing the math right, it's about 37.5-ish percent of their scoring, I believe. Yeah. And Georgetown's bench, on the other hand, you know, because they played so many, they got 42 points from their bench, including nine from Kaleva, seven from Wright, as I mentioned, seven from Scott. Also in 13 minutes, Kalia, Kalia Mirix scored four points in those 13 minutes and grabbed four rebounds. So Georgetown, no surprise, they win big. Marquette, they hosted uh, NJIT and won 90-58. You know, they got onto a big halftime lead. They were up 45-26. Still 19 after three quarters as it was 66-47, but Marquette, they outscored the Highlanders 24-11 in the fourth, and balance was the story, but... If there was any one player that stood out, Carissa McLaughlin, 22 points for a game high, 8 for 16 from the floor, 4 of 8 from 3, 16 from Lauren Van Clunen, 11 from Chloe Murata. How about 9 points and 10 rebounds from Lisa Carlin, the freshman, and then 8 points for Jordan King. And the great thing for Marquette, everyone off the bench scored. Four of their six bench players tally 10-plus minutes. And they got 24 points from the bench. And it was balanced from the bench. Six points each from Middleton and Williams. Five from Kennedy Miles. Antoinette Walker chipped in three. And then Okusin and Nkumu each had a pair of points. NGIT, you know, they played a lot in this game. Man, you know, played a lot of players, that is. Kenneth Squire led the way with 13. Off the bench, you know, they got double digits from Grace Plummer, who had 11, and Trinity Williams, who had 10. Other than that, you know, Believe it or not, NGIT, you know, they shot well from three at 50%, but as a whole, they were just 37% from the floor. Marquette, on the other hand, didn't shoot as well from three, five for 12, but they were over 50% from the floor and out-rebounded NGIT 46-26. So Marquette, you know, that that win propelled them to 2-0. DePaul got to 2-0 by defeating an inner-city opponent in Loyola, Chicago, 87-53. You know, they got off to a fast start going up 24-12. And, you know, it was pretty far out of reach by halftime at 42-28. But a 24-8 fourth quarter run gives DePaul a 34-point win, 87-53. And Sonia Morris, after a rough first matchup, bounced back strongly. 11 for 14 from the floor made her only three-point attempt. And finished with 23 points, which was a game high. And the rest of the starters, you know, really chipped in strongly. 
Deja Church had 18 points. Lexi held with 13 to go along with 8 assists. And 15 from Darion Rogers. So Anissa Morrow, who put up 31 in her first game against Texas Southern, came back down to earth a little bit. Didn't really shoot well at 4 for 12, but did have a solid 9 points to go with 9 rebounds. Not really much from the bench, though. Uh, Loyola Chicago only had two players that scored double figures, and that was 10 uh, 10 points each for Allison Day, who started the game, and then off the bench, Jayla Johnson. So DePaul, you know, they won with a lot of offense, and the defense really wasn't that big of a, you know, a contributing factor to their win against Texas Southern. Defense plays a much bigger role here, holding Loyola to just 53 points. DePaul wins, they get to 2-0. Saturday, Seton Hall playing Fordham at home. You know, I I thought this would be a close game with Seton Hall having a narrow edge, but Fordham completely flipped that. You know, they went up 18-13 after the first, and Seton Hall, you know, went on a big run, went on this run to take a 21-20 lead on a three by Andre Espinosa Hunter. And then from there, Fordham dominated. They outscored Seton Hall down the stretch 62 to 42 the rest of the way. And they went 82 to 63. And finally, yes, Seton Hall made it a game at the end of three quarters. I mean, they got down to six. 58-52, like, you know. A six-point deficit for them, like, like that's more than doable for them to make up that kind of deficit. But in the end, star of the game for Fordham in this 19-point win, Kendall Haramaya, 29 points, including 8 for 11 from 3, 9 for 14 from the field. I mean, you can make the argument that she had the game of her life in this game. And also helps, you know, really it was a three-pronged attack from Fordham's guards. First with Jeremiah, and then Asia Dingle had 18 to go. And by the way, this is a guard who had 13 rebounds. And then Anna DeWolf had 16 points, 7 of 18 from the field. And Fordham, you know, again, how important is rebounding? You know, the more rebounds you get, you know, more often than not, you're going to win when you have a rebounding edge like they did as they held it 44-33. You know, on paper, Fordham didn't really shoot the ball well. You know, the 44%, I mean, that's it's pretty good, but it's not like they were shooting lights out. And it's not like they were even getting a lot of free throws either. I mean, it's pretty equal. Fordham got 16 attempts, whereas Seton Hall got 17. But Fordham, you know, they went on these big runs and that ultimately doomed the Pirates. And for Seton Hall, player who had a really good game in this game is Sidney Cooks. You know, the transfer from Mississippi State previously was at Michigan State. Had 21 points and 9 rebounds 
in her season debut. Andra Espinosa-Hunter, a player who undoubtedly should be a first-teamer in the Big East, she had a solid game herself at 20 points, 7 boards, 5 of 10 from the field, including 4 of 6 from 3. Lauren Park Lane had a great game her first time out, but in this game, really struggled from the field. 5 for 19 and finished with just 15 points to go along with 6 assists, and then not really much from anyone else outside of those three. I mean, Katie Armstrong only had two points. Maya Jackson only had one point in this game and battled foul trouble, as did Lauren Park Lane and Andre Espinosa-Hunter. The only player they got contributions from off the bench was Amari Wright, who had four points. And Fordham's bench, they outscore Seton Hall's bench 13-4. So Fordham stuns Seton Hall at Walsh. Rams get to 2-0. Pirates fall to 1-1. One result I was particularly surprised by. I mean, looking back on it, Butler losing to Western Illinois, you could make the argument that it wasn't all too surprising, but it was to the extent in which they lost that was surprising. Western Illinois won this game 73-46. They had a 20-9 first quarter edge, and they just ran with that. And by halftime, they were up they were up 19. It's 41-22, and then, again, it ends up in a 27-point win. For the Leathernecks, they were led by Danny Nichols, who scored 16 points, which was a game high. Elizabeth Lutz, the senior, finished with 13. And how about 12 off the bench each for... Anna Dietz, and Mallory McDermott. And they didn't even play that many minutes. McDermott only played 16 minutes. Dietz played 11. As for Butler, only one player double figures. That was Amelia Sexton. The senior chipped in 10 points, shot 4 of 8 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3. Again, Butler, their offense, kind of like the men's team, getting them into some trouble. Only thing is, the Butler women's team is losing. And they were 18 for 65 from the floor, 5 of 29 from 3. So some early season shooting struggles. I mean, I, I, I'm I, under the impression that they won't be this bad the entire year. There's no way. It's Honestly, I don't think it's doable. I mean... Other positives, you know, Trinity White chipped in 8 points, but again, 3 of 13 for the field is not great. 5 rebounds. And then they got 7 points each from Zoe Jackson and Alex Richards. So this is a young Butler team. You know, I'm not going to fault them for losing, but, you know, when you're playing a team like Western Illinois, you know, you don't want to get embarrassed on your home court. Meanwhile, Providence went on the road to face Maine and beat them in overtime, essentially redeeming themselves. And I don't know what else to say. I mean, they lost in overtime in their first game against Yale. So this time when they go to overtime, they go when they go to OT in Maine, they win this time, which is great for them. You know, they outscore the Black Bears ten to five in OT. And the funny thing is, Providence overcame being down 17-3 at the end of the first quarter. 
You know, they got it down to four at halftime. You know, it was 28-24. But Providence, to their credit, you know, they fought hard for 45 minutes and they came back and won. And the player that led them was the freshman Emily Archibald. 20 points, 8 for 14 for the field to go with 6 rebounds. And then how about the contributions from some of the other starters? Janai Crooms had 18 points and 19 rebounds. Monster game from the junior. And then 15 points from Alyssa Geary. You know, Mary Baskerville, a player who has all Big East talent, you know, she was kept in check. Five points, six rebounds. She did foul out, so kind of, you know, when your best player is struggling like that, you know, the rest of the team has to respond, and they sure did in this game. And they were able to withstand a, a, a monster performance from Ann Simon, who had 24 points and 11 rebounds. And she also shot, you know, 9 for 25 from the floor. You know, that's not really all that great. 4 from 13 from 3. I mean, that's a lot of three-point attempts. But, you know, to withstand that, that takes a lot. And the only other Black Bear double figures was Alba Arroyes, I believe. Or is it Oroyes? O-R-O-Y-S. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that. Oroyes. That's probably right. She played all 45 minutes in this game, scored 13 points. And then Maine got 10 points off the bench compared to Providence's 8. And so a bit of a shorter rotation for Providence. You know, it helps them in this case. So Providence, they get back to one, uh, 500, first one of the season. 1-1, one one, much better spot than starting 0-2. Meanwhile, though, Xavier is now 0-2. They went into Salt Lake City and Utah beat them bad. 106-71 and... You know, Utah got up big by halftime. It was 50-28. to 28. And by the end of the third quarter, Xavier was up, thir- Xavier was down 36. So, you know, credit Melanie Moore for giving herself a challenging schedule early on. You know, let's just hope that those two games don't rattle her players' confidence because there's still a lot of season left to be played. You know, they were led by Shelby Calhoun, 13 points, 12 points off the bench for Anaya Harris, and 11 from Shyla Beeler. You know, they got some balanced scoring, you know, nine points from Naya Clark and nine from Akela Scarlett off the bench, and then not really much else. Meanwhile, Utah, their big three in this game. They didn't play a lot. You know, they only played a combined 63 minutes, but scored a combined 62 points as Jenna Johnson and Brenna Maxwell each scored 21 points and then got an additional 20 from Kennedy McQueen. As a whole, Utah shot 52% from the floor and 41.2% from three. Meanwhile, Xavier really struggled shooting the three at just two for 14 so that means Utah was plus 36 from the three-point line. That makes a pretty big difference. And Utah also out-rebounded Xavier 46-34. And Xavier, you know, 
22 for 60 from the floor. You know, they were under 40%. So, rough week for Xavier, but, you know, I, I guarantee you they're going to be happy to be back home this week. Creighton, on the other hand, you know, they, they played their first home game of the season on Saturday against Crosstown rival Nebraska-Omaha, or I believe it, they, they just call it Omaha now. Blue Jays beat the Mavericks 71-51, and they used a big fourth quarter to pull away. You know, they started the game well, and they ended the game well. First quarter, 14-6. Fourth quarter, they had a 28-12 edge. So that means they outscored Omaha in the first and fourth quarters by a combined score of 42-18. to The other two quarters, Omaha had the edge 33-29. But nevertheless, it's a 20-point win for the Jays, led by 16 from Lauren Jensen and 13 from Carly Batchelor. Tatum Rembaugh had a solid game, 4 for 10 from the floor, 1 of 4 from 3, 6 boards, 4 assists. You also got 8 points from Morgan Maley, 7 off the bench from Molly Mogensen. Five from Mallory Brake, and then four each from Jamie Horan and Rachel Saunders. Omaha shot, um, you know, just three for 11 from three. Creighton, you know, they were plus 15 from three. You know, 35% isn't really all that amazing, but, you know, it was a lot better than what Omaha did. And, you know, they shot nearly 44% from the floor. A pretty decent night shooting for Creighton as they get their first one of the season by 20. So, second-ranked UConn returning to action on Sunday for their season opener against Arkansas. Arkansas, before this game, had already played twice, beating Tarleton and Arkansas Pine Bluff. However, going up to the Northeast and facing UConn, Huskies got their revenge winning 95-80. And guess who had the big game for the Huskies? Yeah, Paige Beckers. Played all 40 minutes and dropped 34 on 15 of 19 shooting. Six boards, four assists. And the Huskies as a whole shot nearly 57% from the field. So, Beckers had 34, and then her supporting cast played really well, too. Kristen Williams had 18 points. Avina Westbrook had 15, and then 9 each from Aaliyah Edwards and Olivia Nelson-Adota. You know, they only needed 10 points from the bench, and they took care of Biz. Meanwhile, for Arkansas, you know, they got 20 points from Amber Ramirez, 17 from Sasha Goforth, and 16 from Aaron Barnum. You know, they got 17 from the bench, but, you know, UConn, as you know, they're a handful to deal with. And, you know, despite Edwards and Nelson Adota being in foul trouble, UConn runs away with this game winning by 15. Now, in a, a game where, I mean, it, you could consider it an upset based on, you know, it's a Big East team versus an America East team. But the Stony Brook team, got to give them credit where credit's due. They're good. 
They got down 21-20 against the Red Storm in the first quarter. But a big second quarter propels the Seawolves to a 72-60 win. And in that second quarter, they outscored St. John's 20-8. You know, St. John's was much more competitive in the second half. You know, it was only 32-31 in favor of the Seawolves. But Stony Brook comes away with a 72-60 win, handing the Red Storm their first loss of the year. And leading them was Anastasia Warren, the senior with 19 points. Meanwhile, 14 from Leia Amori Wool, 10 from India Pagan. And their lead scorer off the bench was Naira Mar Vargas Reyes, the senior, had 8 points off the bench. Meanwhile, for St. John's, you got 18 points to lead the way from Leilani Correa. However, really struggled from the floor, just 7 of 22, including 1 of 7 from 3. Only other Red Storm player double figures was Camry Clegg, who had 13 points. Not really their best night shooting either. 31% from the floor, including just about 27% from three. Whereas Stony Brook, they took only 15 threes, but they made them count. They made nine of them for 60%. So St. John's, a bit of a tough pill to swallow as they lose on Long Island to Stony Brook. So, you know, looking ahead, you know, so I know, you know, this is still being recorded, you know, while this is happening in real time. Marquette hosting Southern. I'm Again, I said this on the last episode, Marquette should beat Southern. And, I mean... And I, and I said this last time, I mean, I'll touch on it later, you know, later in the week. Texas A&M hosting DePaul. I was, I mean, I'm, like I said, I was expecting the Aggies to win. I know DePaul's a very good team, but, you know, when you play a team like A&M, who, by the way, has a national championship under their belt, not going to be easy sledding. Uh, as for the rest of the slate, I expect Seton Hall to bounce back against Lehigh, who's currently undefeated. They've beaten East Stroudsburg, non-D1 team, beat them 82-35, and then they beat St. Peter's by 16. I think Seton Hall, you know, if I know Tony Bazzelli, he's going to light a fire under his players after losing a game they absolutely should have won, at least on paper. But you want to have a good bounce-back effort against Lehigh, and you want to win big, ideally. But in the end, just win the game. At, At the end of the day, record's all that matters. You know, they're playing a Lehigh team that made the tournament a year ago. So, get your wins however you can. I'm expecting Seton Hall to win. Butler is hosting Lehigh as... um, No, 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 not Lehigh. I don't know. I'm stuck on Lehigh, but maybe I'm extreme Lehigh. (laughs) See what I did there? Anyways, Butler's hosting Ball State. In-state rival. And Ball State's only played one game this year, and that was an overtime win over Milwaukee. Butler on the other hand, Butler on the other hand, they've lost twice already to Indiana and Western Illinois, both at home. You know, I don't feel safe picking Butler, so I'm gonna take the Cardinals winning this game. As for the Wednesday slate, you got five games on the docket. Xavier, their home opener coming up against Miami, Ohio. I'm expecting Xavier to win, you know. Although you got to give credit where credit's due, Miami, Ohio went to Illinois and nearly knocked off the Fighting Illini. 
And they only lost by seven in this game. So Miami, Ohio, they know how to hang with the big dogs. But I think Xavier, now that they're back home, they want to give their fans something to cheer about. And I'm I I I'm predicting Xavier to win at home. St. John's is visiting Temple at McGonagall Hall. You know, Temple, they got a good win over St. Francis PA to start the year, and then in their last game on Friday, they lost by 17 at Florida Gulf Coast. But, you know, FGCU at the women's side, very good program. You know, St. John's coming off that loss to Stony Brook. I think St. John's has the edge on paper. So I'm going to take the Red Storm winning in Philly. Meanwhile, Providence playing host to Rhode Island, and Rhode Island's looked very good in the early goings. They beat, they crushed Dartmouth, they crushed Merrimack, and they crushed Coppin State. Providence one and one, you know, on paper, you know, Providence looks like they have the better team, but who's playing better? I think that's URI. So I'm going to take the Rams winning. I know it's not going to make a lot of people happy up in Friartown, but again. I'm just calling it like I see it. And, you know, based on what I've seen, I my gut feeling is telling me URI will win at Alumni Hall on Wednesday. Georgetown playing host to Davidson. Hoyas are 2-0. Davidson's 1-2. Davidson, their last game that they played on Sunday, they beat Jacksonville State by 11. However, they did lose twice already this year to Virginia Tech and Columbia. You know, Georgetown's at home. I mean, I just feel safe picking the Hoyas to get to 3-0. and And then I think another game I'm feeling pretty safe picking. You know, I picked the Nebraska men to beat the Creighton men in the Gavit games. And in this matchup on the women's side, I am I have to pick Nebraska. I mean, Nebraska, their offense is really good. I mean, this is a team... That dropped a hundred plus in their in, two, in their first two games, and then eighty eight in their most recent game. And it's wild that they're nearly averaging nearly a hundred points a game. You know, Creighton. They have a lot of talent on that roster. I mean, obviously. You know. They lose quite a bit from last year's team that made it to the Big East semifinals as a sixth seed. You know, but since it's in Lincoln, I gotta take the Huskers here. But knowing that this is an in-state rivalry game, you know Creighton and Jim Flannery squad is gonna put up a fight. There's no way they're just gonna go into Lincoln and just roll over for the Corn Huskers. Especially in an in-state rivalry where Again, both programs are vastly different from each other. You know, you got blue versus red. It's that seems to be the common color schemes between in-state rivals, huh? I mean, you got Seton Hall Rutgers, that's blue and red. Creighton, Nebraska is also blue and red. Kind of weird how that pans out, you know. But anyways, you know, that's a wrap on this episode of the Igloo. Just wanted to do that. I mean, granted, you know, it's near, you know, nearly well, 35 plus minutes, but still. I know that seems pretty long, but for me, that's brief considering how long I've gone on certain episodes. But 
you know, that does it for this episode. You know, there's a lot of season left. And, you know, like, I think what I've realized is that, like, I might have to do, you know, four episodes a week. Because across men's and women's hoops, there's a, in the Big East, there's a lot to get caught up on. There's a lot to break down, a lot to talk about. And next weekend, I mean, Feast Week officially starts. I mean, on the men's side, Marquette's in the Charleston Classic. Nova's in the Hall of Fame Classic up in Connecticut this weekend as well. And on the women's side, the Battle for Atlantis is doing their first ever women's field this year. And that tournament starts this weekend, and that involves UConn and some of some of the top programs in the country, including South Carolina. So, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. And, you know, put some respect on the women's name because, you know, the fact that they now have a battle for Atlantis on the women's side, it shows how much the women's game is growing and how damn good it is. So, I definitely want to break that down and so much more because there's a lot lot of stuff happening around the Big East, not just on the men's side, but obviously, as I mentioned, on the women's side as well on the next episode of the Igloo. So I'll have the recap of all these games coming up this week. As I mentioned on the women's side on the next episode of the Igloo. And then on Friday, I'll break down the what happened in the Gavit games and get you ready for a pretty good weekend slate, and obviously highlighted by Villanova in the Hall of Fame tip-off classic against three other ranked opponents also in that field. They'll face Tennessee, as I meant. Um, I didn't mention that, but so they face Tennessee Saturday, and then the winner, depending on what happens, they'll face either Purdue or North Carolina, also ranked the following day. So until next time, this is Timmy Ice signing off from the Igloo. Thank you for tuning in. Stay safe out there, and I'll catch you next time.